The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Pet lovers, we welcome you and your pets who listen to our show, The Pet Buzz, each week from around the world. This is our Easter Passover show to get you and your pets ready for the upcoming holidays. Are you ready for Easter, Dr. Fleck? I am. Are you ready for Passover? I am. Dr. Fleck, I'm going to go and get right down into it. Can you give us a rundown of this week's show? This week on The Pet Buzz, we are talking about gifting pets with Easter baskets. That's a nice little treat. Yeah. The role the dogs played in the Passover story with Temple Emmanuel's Dr. Sarah Say Payton. Why buying a bunny for your children should not be taken lightly, but something to really think about with rabbit expert Mary Cotter and Easter pet dangers with Tina Wismer. Yeah, veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer, who is one of our great Dream Team members. So, Charlotte, can you introduce us to our first guest segment? Sure. Did you know that Easter is the second best-selling candy holiday in America after Halloween, Dr. Fleck? I did not. Well, among the most popular sweet treats associated with the day are chocolate eggs and Easter bunnies. Unfortunately, as much as we love chocolate, it's not so good for our dogs. Mm, Or cats. Or cats. Introduce our next guest. So here to discuss chocolate and other Easter dangers is veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer the medical director of the ASPCA, Animal Poison Control Center. Hello, Dr. Tina. Hello, hello. We're so happy you're back with us today. You know, I'm going to ask you, can you tell us how many calls the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center receives during Easter week? It is one of our busier weeks, and we're pretty close to 10,000 phone calls. 10,000 phone calls in a week. Oh, my gosh. How do you handle that? I have a really good team to answer them. (laughs) Wow, 10,000 calls. Well, Dr. Wismer, we told our listening audience that we'd be talking with you today, and they asked them to send in some questions. We've been receiving numerous questions via email, Twitter, and Facebook. Our first question comes from Jenny from Long Island. She wrote via email that she had always heard that chocolate and other candy is dangerous for our pets, but she'd like to know what specific ingredients make chocolate and candy dangerous and what kind of health reactions can a dog experience? So the toxic component are called methylxanthines. And these are compounds like caffeine and something called theobromine. And they're stimulants in animals. So with dogs and cats, we can see vomiting and diarrhea. We can see high heart rates, potentially tremors, seizures, and if they eat enough, potentially death. Wow. I got some chocolate bunnies right over there in the studio. Do you see them? They look delish, don't they? Late chocolate bunnies. Keep them for us. Okay. So from Twitter, Mary from Cleveland, Ohio writes, she wants to know why it's better to line Easter baskets with paper instead of synthetic grass. Well, number one, of course, it's more environmentally friendly. And number two, it's much less dangerous for our pets. Uh, Plastic or synthetic grass can actually get stuck in the intestinal tract 
and cause an obstruction and potentially perforate um, the intestinal tract requiring surgery. Good to know. So stick with the paper. I don't know if it costs a little bit. I think it probably costs a little bit more. Probably. I know yeah. they sell it at Target. That's their big sell at Target. And it's actually pretty. It doesn't sparkle, but it's pretty. Well, if you're just tuning in, Dr. Wisner from the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center is joining us. And she's answering your questions about Easter dangers in pets. Okay. You had another I question. Did. Matthew from San Francisco, California posted on our Facebook feed. With the coming of spring, I love to fill our home and garden with plants, especially with Easter lilies. They make our home smell so fresh and sweet. But are they dangerous for our cats? Yes. Dogs are not a problem, but if you have cats, please, no Easter lilies, no other members of the Lillian family. So those beautiful lilies you get in bouquets, definitely a no-no for cats. Causes kidney failure. Okay, Martin from Brooklyn tweets, my dogs love eggs. Well, who who doesn't love eggs, including my dogs? We have a family hunt every year. That's an Easter egg hunt in our very large backyard. He must have a lot of money if he lives in Brooklyn with a big yard. (laughs) Okay, should we worry about our dogs eating the eggs that we hide? That's a good question, actually. It is a good question. So eggs, of course, quite healthy for dogs. Um, you know, they'll eat the shells too. And the guys we're using are non-toxic. But if they're hanging out in your backyard for a couple of weeks because the kids didn't see them, we do worry that they could become rotten or moldy. And that's definitely an issue. Yeah. And they probably smell too, what that sulfur smell. But, you know, dogs like gross things. So I wouldn't be surprised if you caught some dog chomping on that Easter egg, right? Oh, they absolutely like gross things. Sure. Dr. Flack has a question. Yeah. Our our last listener is Catherine from Pittsburgh, PA. She writes that the whole family gets together for Easter dinner. She ends up having so much ham after dinner. She wants to know if she can give some of it to her dogs as a treat. So ham, this is definitely a dose determines the problem kind of toxin. So very small amount, it's probably not an issue, but a lot of dogs can't tolerate it and it will give them vomiting and diarrhea. Ham's juicy. And I like to make sure in my house, because I like to cook, I always have a lot of fat on my ham or my beef because it moistens. So I'm getting hungry. You like ham too. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dr. Tina, before we go, can you tell our listeners the ASPCA Animal Poison Control hotline number as well as the fees and payment particulars? Sure. Our phone number is 888-426-4435. We do charge a $95 fee that can be charged to any major credit card, and that includes all phone calls for that exposure to a potential toxin. Dr. Wisdom, thank you so much for being with us today. We're always happy to have you back with us. Just remind us of your website again. Sure. The website is ASPCA.org. That was veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer, the medical director of the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, discussing Easter dangers. Up next, is this the time to get an Easter bunny as a pet? Rabbit expert Mary Cotter is answering our questions. Hey, our next guest is on the phone, Mary Cotter, the bunny expert. Let's get the interview started. 
Well, the first legend of the Easter Bunny hiding eggs in garden nests were brought to the United States when German immigrants settled in Pennsylvania in the 1700s. Eventually, the custom spread across the United States and the famed rabbit deliveries expanded to include chocolate and other types of candy and gifts. Soon after, decorated baskets replaced nests and other gifts became bunnies. And is the case with many pets, many people who either bought or were gifted with bunnies we're not necessarily prepared to take care of them. So here to discuss rabbits and their care is Mary Cotter, the former president of the International House Rabbit Society. Hi, Mary, and welcome to the Pet Buzz. Hello, everyone. How are you? Great, great. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz and welcome back. You know, many people are thinking of gifting a rabbit for Easter, especially if they have children. Is this a good or a bad idea? Well, we've spent many, many years, those of us in rabbit rescue, trying to tell people this is not the best idea for a, a number of reasons. First of all, rabbits are not necessarily the best companion animals for small children because small children are enthusiastic and unpredictable and full of joy. They jump, they leap, they grab. And this is anathema to a rabbit. Rabbit is a prey animal who's really scared of sudden movement, sudden noise, unpredictability. So depending on the age of the child, if you have a child, say 12 years old, 11 years old, that's a different story from a very young child. But rabbits and very young children are typically not a good mix. And often you will get injuries to the rabbit, not to the child necessarily, unless the rabbit bites the child, but the rabbit can be dropped or snuggled too hard. And those little bones in a rabbit are fragile for a reason. They're very lightweight because a rabbit in nature needs to run extremely fast to disappear from predators. You know, and it's when interesting. It when I was listening to Mary, I got my first rabbit when I was 12 years old. And I got it as an, as an Easter gift for my sister and her ex-husband. But I understand what you're saying. It was very calm and I had to be careful. And the first thing I did on Monday morning was I went and got a book on rabbit care because, you know, always having dogs and cats, I didn't know very much about rabbits. And you were old enough to read. When you give a rabbit to a four-year-old, a five-year-old, that child is not able to read literature on rabbit care. And, you know, and, and the mother ends up having to take care of the rabbit, which was really not the original idea. It was to, quote, teach the child responsibility. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work with very young children. So we beg parents, wait a few years. If you wanna make a, a companion in your home uh, by pairing a rabbit with a child, please wait until the child is old enough to learn from you how to take care of the rabbit and maybe to do exactly what you did, Charlotte, which is to access books or nowadays internet sites where you can learn all about how to take care of a rabbit. Mary, hold tight. We need to take a commercial break. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. 
Hey, it's pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. Did you have a chance to check out our social media channels at the Pet Buzz and see our dogs visit with the Easter Bunny? Well, it was a great photo session. Our dogs dressed in bunny costumes. So if you didn't, you should. But why don't you schedule a photo session with your pets? Check out whereisbunny.com and find the nearest venue. Schedule a live photo session for your pet with Bunny. You can even enjoy a virtual experience at home. Best of all, use the code the pet buzz for 25% off your furry experience. Thank you for joining us on the pet buzz. The show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, that has to do with my next question for people interested in purchasing or adopting a rabbit as a pet. Can you tell us how long they live? And if rabbits are kind of low maintenance pets, give us an overall idea of rabbit care. You know, talk about living conditions, diet and exercise. Well, here's a shock to many, many parents. They think, oh, I'll get my little boy or little girl a rabbit. And in a couple of years, we'll move on to a dog or something like that. Rabbit lifespan is actually just as long as a typical dog lifespan for most breeds of rabbits. There are some breeds, the very, very large breeds that have a somewhat shorter lifespan, but a small to average size rabbit can live 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. We even know of rabbits that have died in their late teens. So this is not a short-term pet where your child gets entertained for a couple of years and then you move on. Um, and taking care of a rabbit is another question too. This is not a low maintenance pet. People always think, oh, an indoor pet will be so much easier than a dog where you have to go out and walk the dog. Oh no, I have both and have had both for many years. A dog is much easier. You just take him outside and he does his business and then you bring him back in and you feed him and he eats and it's just a regular system. With a rabbit, an indoor rabbit especially needs care and maintenance that you don't have to give an outdoor animal. You have to maintain its quarters in a, a nice, fresh, clean way. You have to use a litter box with a rabbit the way you do with a cat. Rabbits are very readily litter box trained, but that litter box needs to be changed just as a cat's litter box needs to be cleaned or changed. So you've got maintenance chores that you don't really think of in advance with a rabbit and they need to be paid attention to. Those are really good comments. Yeah, um, and exercise. Do rabbits need exercise? Oh, they probably need toys, correct? And exercise? Well, yeah, exercise with a capital E. Those big, fat hind legs on a rabbit, those are made for jumping and leaping. And if a rabbit doesn't get exercise, the muscles start to atrophy and the rabbit becomes unable to jump and move normally. So it's really important for a rabbit to get exercise. And we love the, the fact that people understand now that keeping a rabbit indoors is kind of like keeping a cat indoors. The rabbit will live a longer, healthier life if it's protected from the elements. But that means the person who lives with a rabbit has to make sure that the rabbit gets plenty of opportunity to move around outside of a normal, quote unquote, normal size cage. We love keeping rabbits in exercise pens and maybe even a double exercise pen where there's plenty of room to move around when you're not there to supervise. And you can put toys in there and a litter box. When you're there to supervise, you can open the pen and let the rabbit have a little more territory because you can see if he goes under the sofa, you don't want to let that happen. So uh, that's why we, we recommend keeping them enclosed in a generous size enclosure when you're not there. Okay, you had a question. Yeah, Dr. great Frank. comments. So, you know, Mary, veterinary costs are factors in acquiring any pet these days. Um, although I don't see rabbits in my practice, can you discuss the veterinary care that rabbits need and if it is similar to what the dogs and cats get as veterinary care? 
Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of things are similar in the sense that an overall checkup is a great idea. You can see pretty quickly um, a vet whether the vet is knowledgeable about rabbits or not. If there's anything terribly wrong, you're going to see that right away. But to see the things that most rabbit owners or companions or um, caretakers, whatever word you use, to see the things that those people, or to take care of the things that those people are likely to see, that requires some extra knowledge on the part of veterinarians. Many years ago, there just weren't vets around that had special knowledge about rabbits. Vets typically took maybe a single course in vet school for uh, lab animals and rabbits were included among lab animals. But now rabbits are widely seen as companion animals. And that means they need special veterinary care by veterinarians who have taken the, pa the pain and the, the time and the effort to travel, go to conferences, get a special education about rabbits. And we now have the Association for Exotic Mammal Veterinarians, which has been a fantastic resource for finding veterinarians who have lots of skill and experience with rabbits. And God bless you, Dr. Fleck, for saying, I don't see rabbits in my practice, yeah. because there are veterinarians out there that don't admit that they don't see rabbits in their practice. And a person will walk in with a rabbit. And because the vet doesn't have that extra training, the vet won't be able to distinguish what is going on with this rabbit. How can I help this rabbit? Well, if you're just joining us, we're talking with expert Mary Cotter about rabbit care. You know, Mary, these days, many young and single adults, especially in city environments, have rabbits. And I think this was really true of, during the pandemic. You know, one concern that I have is that people believe that they can just leave a rabbit for a few days without daily care when they travel, uh, whether it's for business or pleasure. Can you comment about that? Oh, I certainly can. What you can do and what you should do are two different things. You can always abandon an animal. And I put that in quotes, because if you leave a rabbit for several days while you're on a business trip and that rabbit is your companion, that rabbit will, will suffer by your absence in more ways than one. Uh, rabbits are really affectionate animals and they get very close to their caretakers. Um, they really love you. I know that sounds silly, but they do. They really love you and they miss you when you're gone. Um, you are keeping them in a situation where they can't interact with tons of other rabbits. You know, if they were outdoors and it's in Europe outdoors because the rabbits, the indoor rabbits we have here are not the same as our outdoor rabbits. But outdoor rabbits in Europe would be able to have clans with other rabbits. And here, just as with dogs and cats, we typically get one animal or maybe two animals. And, um, you know, it's a different situation. You can't just leave on vacation and think that everything's going to be okay. The very least you can do is have someone come in twice a day, at least twice a day, check your rabbit, feed your rabbit, interact with your rabbit, change the water, et cetera. The same things you would do for another indoor animal. Uh, the main problem with leaving a rabbit for a long period of time is that rabbits can get sick pretty quickly in the sense that if they chew on something they shouldn't and they get a foreign object in their belly, or if they just don't, they're not digesting right. A digestive problem in a rabbit is not the same as a digestive problem in a dog or cat where you might be able to wait a day or two and see what happens. If a rabbit stops eating for 12 hours or longer, that rabbit needs veterinary attention. If you're gone for the weekend, you're not gonna see it. And if your caretaker is not rabbit knowledgeable, the caretaker might not notice it. 
You know, once you, I'm, I'm going to interrupt Mary because I, I'm curious about this. So once you have done your research and you determine a rabbit is the pet for you, where's the best place to obtain a rabbit? A lot of people don't realize that some shelters do take rabbits, not all shelters, but some t shelters do take rabbits. Certainly in New York City, the city shelters have rabbits and lots of smaller private shelters often have a small number of rabbits at, at a time. And it's definitely worth investigating that. And the best thing to do is, is go on the internet and type in the name of your city and type in the words rabbit rescue or adopt a rabbit, New York City, and you will get a lot of hits. If you're in a place where you can't easily find a local rabbit, go to the House Rabbit Society website, which is www.rabbit.org and find the chapter closest to your area. There's a list of chapters all over the United States there, and you're likely to have a chapter or a rescue organization near you, and you can find a rescued rabbit that way. And I hate to say this because it's so sad, uh, maybe you wanna edit it out, but if worse comes to worse and you can't find a rabbit to adopt any other way, go to Craigslist and save a poor rabbit's life. There are so many people who get rabbits and don't know how to take care of them. And they find out quickly, oh, I'm in over my head. I got to place this rabbit. And they will advertise on the internet in places like Craigslist. Mary, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Again, can you just give that website one more time? Yes, it's www.rabbitsingular.org. Well, that was Mary Cotter, one of the former presidents of the International House Rabbit Society. Stay tuned and we'll be back in a buzzworthy moment. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio, where we focus on enhancing the bond between pets and their people. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. In addition to the upcoming Easter celebration, Jews around the world are celebrating Passover. Passover, also called Pesach, is a major Jewish holiday that celebrates the biblical story of the Israelites escaping from slavery in Egypt. This year, Passover is celebrated from Wednesday, April 5th to April 13th, and included in the Passover story unbeknownst to most people, are dogs. Hmm. Our next guest is going to tell us how they played a role. And joining us today is Rabbi Sarah Sapaden. Rabbi Sarah Sapaden currently serves as an associate rabbi at Temple Emmanuel in New York City. Temple Emmanuel is one of the largest synagogues in the world. It's huge. It's huge. It's, hu it's, it's beautiful huge. and it's huge. And you've attended that. 
Rabbi Sipaden has written for a number of Jewish publications and is also a proud contributor to the sacred calling four decades of women in the rabbinate. Okay, so before we get started, Rabbi, can you talk to us a little bit about Passover? Sure. Oh, I would be glad to. I mean, Passover, first of all, is one of the most uh, celebrated holidays amongst the Jewish people. In addition to having services in the temple, most people conduct what we call a Seder at their homes, inviting family, extended family, oftentimes friends and neighbors. And through the course of the Seder, people tell the story of the Israelites fleeing Egypt. It's a story of freedom. It's a story of personal redemption. It's a story that reminds us um, of our role to help those who, um, who are in bondage still in this world. And, you know, one of the things I always find at larger celebrations for Passover, sometimes people will invite a stranger or two. Yes. Yes, that's very, very common. It's common to open our doors to, again, our friends and our neighbors, welcome them to our tables. There is a very famous line in the Passover Seder where we hold up the matzah and we say, let all who are hungry come and eat. And so we embody that statement by opening our homes to strangers, to people who may not have a place to do Seder. It's a mitzvah. Now, most people don't even know what matzah is. Oh, really? Okay. Well, matzah is uh, what we call unleavened bread. As the story goes in the Torah, when the Israelites were escaping from Egypt, they didn't have time for their bread to to rise. And so it became this kind of uh, unleavened cracker-like substance. For many people, matzah just looks like a cracker, but it is is specially made for Passover. Um, And we use it ceremonially, but we also eat it throughout the holiday. Well, it's a time really right before Passover that a lot of Jewish households are really cleaning up their house. They're getting all of the bread and cookies and anything that has yeast in it out the door. That's right. That's right. We do what uh, many call uh, a chametz search. Now, chametz is uh, the Hebrew word for leavened bread. It also applies to any food that is prepared from any of the five species of grain that you can't eat on Passover, wheat, barley, oats, spelt, and rye. So you've got to search your house for anything that has these ingredients in it, like pasta, as you said, cookies, crackers, cereals. There's a lot of foods that we can't eat on Passover. I'm exhausted here. <laughs> it is. Well, it's, I mean, it's, you know, even the cleaning is in a way ceremonial. It, it's the pre-work to get ready for such a, a lengthy holiday, but such a family holiday when you're, it brings so much joy. Uh, oh my gosh, of course. I, we have so much fun. We usually do a hummet search with our kids where we're hiding bread and all kinds of products throughout the house. And so it actually becomes this huge game for the kids to clean up. Um, But, you know, there's also a spiritual element, as you said, Charlotte. A lot of us talk about chametz, um, leavened 
um, items, not only as food, but the things that puff us up or the things that, that clog you know, our lives? How can we clear those things out of our lives as well? And when she's talking about that, the grains, that means the dog food's got to go. But you had a question, Dr. Fleck. Yeah, I was just thinking about her thinking that it was games for the kids to have to clean up. That doesn't sound like any game. Can you briefly tell us about the role of dogs in the initial Passover? Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. Of course. So uh, as the Torah describes it, the Torah, meaning the five books of Moses, when the Israelites were fleeing slavery in Egypt, that mass escape, which, as we know, was called the Exodus, it is said that not a single dog snarled, meaning not a single dog barked or lunged at the Israelites. And as the story goes, because the dogs in the vicinity in Egypt remained silent, the Israelites were able to leave Egypt undetected. So essentially the silence of the dogs facilitated a smoother getaway for the Israelite people. Amazing. And I think it's also important to recognize too, you know, Egypt with all of their deities, their gods, Mm-hmm. had one, I guess it's Anubis, is that his name? I think his name was Anubis. He was he had the head of a jackal. So mm-hmm. a lot of dogs were like a symbolic of the underworld or death. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see the parallel with um, how the dogs didn't bark and considering so many things had happened during that time of Passover, all the plagues, all the death. Mm-hmm. At the same time, where you might have thought dogs were a symbol of Egypt, here we have these dogs who do not utter a word. Right. They're absolutely integral to this story of freedom and redemption. It's, it's an incredible detail that one could very easily just skim over. Um, I'm actually very glad that you brought it to my attention. Well, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with New York City's Temple Emanuel, Rabbi Sarah Sabin, discussing the roles of dogs during the Exodus, the fleeing of the Jews from Egypt. You had a question, Dr. Fleck. So where can we find these passages? Sure. Yeah, great question, Dr. Fleck. So this passage is found in the book that we call Exodus after the story of the Israelites fleeing. Exodus is the second book in our Torah. And this verse emerges in the narrative of the 10 plagues. So as God is describing that horrific 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, we read this. And there shall be a loud cry in the land of Egypt, such as has never been or will ever be again, but not a dog shall snarl at any of the Israelites, at human or beast, in order that you may know that Adonai, our God, makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So the original text is found here in Exodus chapter 11, verse 7, but there are so many interpretations and extrapolations of this text throughout Jewish commentaries because so many people over the years have puzzled over this text and tried to understand what these dogs were doing there, who they belong to, why or why not they would be barking. 
I think it probably has to do a lot with because the they were surrounded by death mm-hmm. and the house of the firstborn of the, of the Egyptians were dying and mm. the dogs are the symbol or were the symbol that deity was the symbol of passing through the underworld. So it's really mind-blowing in a way that the dogs were, I guess, redeemed, had redeemed themselves from being associated with that Egyptian god. I mean, there were so many of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, Mm -hmm. when you see pictures of this, this Egyptian deity, he's dark, small, and he has a face like a dog or a jackal. And back in the day, jackals were always associated with cemeteries. So it's, I think, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that has, I think that probably has a lot to do with it. And it's also such a significant portion that people would just pass over. I mean, there are a lot of um, biblical references to animals and a lot yeah. of times people just don't pass over. They look for the bigger picture. So Rabbi, we need to take a commercial break and we will be right back in our next segment with you. Does your pet have dry, flaky and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud sponsor of the Pet Buzz. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and and country. Hey, we're back with Rabbi Sepaden here on the Pet Buzz talking about Passover. Were the dogs rewarded for their silence? Another great question. So many people say, yes, the dogs were rewarded for remaining quiet and for facilitating this smoother exodus from Egypt. I don't want to call it smooth, but it was smoother, right? So later in the book of Exodus, after the Israelites have this big revelation at Sinai where they get the Torah, we read this other interesting line that the Israelites are not allowed to eat the flesh that has been torn by beasts in the field. A limb torn or cut from a living animal is forbidden for humans to consume. But that flesh, which has been torn, is perfectly good for the dogs. So according to our commentators, the dogs specifically, and specifically because of what they did in Egypt, the dogs get to feast on this flesh. And they're rewarded for their excellent impulse control, which we train a lot in our dogs, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think sometimes dogs are so much a part of our life that whether it's our cultural life, people also want to know if our animals or other animals are incorporated into our religious life as Mm. well. So I think that's one of the reasons that I invited the rabbi to kind of be here with us. I so agree with you, Charlotte. I mean, our dogs are so important to us and they're so integrated into almost everything we do. And I think it's pretty incredible to see them lifted up this way in our sacred scripture and for people to to recognize that 
and just to talk about it. Well, during Passover or Pesach, Jewish households do not, like we said, don't keep bread or leavened food. So what should we do about our dogs? <laughs> yeah. So for those who keep a kosher for Passover home, um, this is a common question because while dogs are not mandated to keep kosher, let's just put that out there, the homes that they live in during Passover are supposed to be free of chametz, which we talked about earlier. So believe it or not, there is kosher for Passover pet food available. It's available. You can find lists of kosher for Passover pet food online through various kosher certification organizations like Star K. Um, they have an updated list online. And even some of the pet retailers, like I was looking around and Chewy.com has um, a page dedicated to kosher food um, and how you deal with that with pets. And there's a specific line about kosher for Passover. So there's lots and lots of information out there and lots of ways to procure kosher for Passover food for your dogs. Yeah, our friend Holly, who owns Avengers, mm -hmm. has oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. has kosher food mm -hmm. for pets. And whether it's Passover or any day of the week, you can find kosher food at her facility and it's everywhere it's on chewy's it's at most stores and major yeah. metropolitan cities and on uh, suburbs my dogs will be eating avengers so you will comply <laughs> with that correct yeah i do it because it just makes the holiday special and it reminds me of the steps and measures that i can mm -hmm. take as a jew any other comments rabbi oh my goodness well First of all, again, thank you both for having me. I was so excited to look up this um, little detail because um, the Torah is full and Jewish tradition is full of so many small details that each tell such an extraordinary story. And as I said, this is one detail that could have just been, you know, skimmed over. But um, I'm so grateful to you for helping me look at it and urging me to look at it and see that it really is a world in and of itself, this world of dogs in our um, ancient tradition. And so much in our lives today. And so much. Yes, that too. Rabbi Sapin, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we learn more about you and Temple Emmanuel L? Maybe the website you can give us? Well, that I can absolutely do. You can find more information about all the things happening at Temple Emmanuel by heading to our website, emmanuelnyc.org. Well, just to remind you, that was Rabbi Sarah Sabin of New York City's Temple Emmanuel. If you're visiting New York, please go by and see the temple or even better, attend a service. You know, I have fond memories of being a congregant there. And one of my best memories was delivering Passover meals to the elderly. So let's kick off this final segment of this Easter show, discussing Easter traditions and gifts for our dogs and cats. Although many Easter traditions and gifts can be dangerous for our dogs, there are safe and enjoyable ways to involve your dog in the Easter festivities. So consider making your dog their own Easter basket. Creating a custom fun-filled Easter basket is a great way to spoil your pet. Fill the Easter basket with appropriate treats, toys, and other accessories based on your dog's age, health, breed, likes, as well as 
personality. Well, in their Easter basket, I always use paper grass as synthetic grass can be dangerous for dogs and cats if ingested. Moreover, they never really have access to the Easter basket. And from year to year, I just rotate the Easter baskets that I have in storage. Now for dogs, I like to add a new spring themed crate mat um, I put in pastel colored egg toys uh, for the dogs because they're they really use them for indoor fun. And I also like to include a few outdoor toys since now that the weather is getting warmer, we can spend more time outside. Um, I like these JW pet holy roller toys. They're lots of fun for the dogs. The dogs really enjoy them. They're tough, they're safe, and they really provide hours of indoor and outdoor fun. Also, it's a good idea to think about adding a seasonal themed matching leash and collar or, or harness if your dog wears a harness. I like to put in a personalized bandana or even a new raincoat in the basket, depending on where you are and if you have lots of rain. I like to think of the apparel as kind of spring fashion. Your dog is sporting the latest spring fashions. And really, since the Easter Bunny is the big theme for the holiday each year, I have photos of my dogs taken with the Easter Bunny and I insert those into the baskets. I have to admit, those are really gifts for me, but I like to display the pictures around the house or send pet pics to their grand dog parents. And there's always a bunny in the basket, a stuffed toy bunny. And I like that because, for example, Churchill, he's the youngest, he likes to drag the bunny around the floor. Um, and, or, you know, Morrow, my older dog, he kind of snuggles with the bunny. He's blind, he doesn't see, he always likes to have a snuggle toy. Uh, and if there's a bunny, I always find a toy carrot. Um, and a lot of times I recycle this stuff from year to year. Well, if you didn't know, Peeps now make dog toys um, and they have an extra large dog toy that really makes a good pillow for an older dog that likes to rest a lot or sleep a lot or a dog that likes to keep his head raised. So that Peeps pillow is really nice. Um, as far as treats, I always add bakery style dog treats for the dogs. I like um, Bubba Rose Bakery. They make Easter theme dog treats and my dogs love them. They even have like a carob chip covered Easter bunny in brown and and all sorts of yummy looking. I mean, they're, they look good enough that people would saw them they would probably take one and for cats i do a similar basket the photos the treats and the toys and you can find great easter themed catnip toys at target.com there's also seasonal scratchers um, at chewy.com or even check out really cool breakaway collars with roller balls or some of them even have chickens with bells in them um, on etsy so those are always fun you know on the holiday on the day of the holiday i should say my pets are dressed up like bunnies with bunny shirts or bunny costumes. They even have, some of them have bunny ears because they really make great photo ops on the day. Things that you could save and put in your, a dog or a cat scrapbook. Those are always fun. And of course, you gotta have the Easter treat hunt. So dogs, I have a tendency to lead the individual dogs outside to the backyard. And as I walk around, they follow me. I kind of guide them to the places where they can sniff out the high value treats. And once the dog finds the treats, I praise them for their, their scentability. Um, 
you know, in multiple dog households, I recommend separate Easter treat hunts for each dog because having each dog search separately prevents any conflict, guarding or bullying between dogs. They search for toys, if you want to include that, as well as treats. And not only is it fun for your dog, but it's also a great way to start training them and maybe do some scent work with them. Um, you know, for cats, I hide treats in their cat tree on sconces uh in their beds or by their scratches they always seem to find those treats well really we hope that um this gives you some great ideas to do some things on easter day but really overall we hope that the show helps you prepare for your four-legged family member to have an enjoyable and safe easter but now it's time to wrap up the show so before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. Next week, we're talking about how the pets are doing in Rolling Fork and Silver City, Mississippi, after that horrible tornado and then more storms. We're also talking about seasonal pet allergies. But before we go, Dr. Flick, we would like you to thank our guest. A special thanks to our guest, veterinarian Dr. Tina Wismer, Mary Cotter, and Rabbi Sarah Sapayden. And we must thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have any questions, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll try to cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the Link podcast on Monday morning. But most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you Take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.